Okay, children, I have a question for you. Have you ever had an oh help moment? Do you know what that is? That's, that's where you find yourself in a predicament and you go, oh, help. So I, I'm thinking specifically this morning of like Tigger, right? You know, the Tigger from Winnie the Pooh and how he bounces up a tree and he, he thinks, oh, this is so easy. And he gets to the top of the tree and he's got Rue on his back and they're having so much fun and they get to the top of the tree and they look down and go, ah, and Tigger goes, Help because he realizes that coming down is going to be much harder than going up. Or Winnie the Pooh himself coming out of the hole at Rabbit's house after having eaten so much honey, it was all of the honey that Rabbit had, and he gets himself wedged in the hole as he's coming out, and he says, oh, help, oh, bother, and he tries to push himself back, and he gets it, he's stuck, and he says, oh, help and bother. It's that kind of a moment that I'm talking about. Have you ever had that kind of a moment? I, I've had those kinds of moments before. the pile of the things in your arms starts to tip and you realize there is nothing you can do because this Jenga thing that you're holding is about to topple out of your hands the whole thing and you're like oh help 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 and you're just hoping that someone will come because you are in a predicament and there is nothing that you can do about it this morning our psalm is that Sometimes you're just stuck up in a tree. Sometimes you've got yourself wedged in a hole. Sometimes you're starting to fall and drop something. And sometimes you find yourself in the kind of predicament that there is nothing you can do about and it's not funny. You just find yourself going, there is nothing I can do. Oh, help. Help. And I don't know if that's what you heard as Michael was reading Psalm 83, but that's the psalm that we have for this morning. And I'm going to take this psalm in four parts. The first part will be the complaint. The second part will be uh, the enemies of God's people, who the problem is. The third part is going to be the hope and the confidence that we have. And then the fourth part is the request, okay? So you can see that the prayer is sort of forming, even as I talk about the structure of this psalm, that this is going to be a prayer kind of a sermon. The kind of sermon where we're looking at an oh help moment, and the way that we're going to respond in that moment is we are going to pray. We're going to pray to the one God who can do anything about it because we find ourselves in a place of trouble. So if you would turn to Psalm 83, and this is what it says. O God, do not keep silence. Do not hold your peace or be still, O God. For behold, your enemies make an uproar those who hate you have, re have raised their heads. They lay crafty plans against your people. They consult together against your treasured ones. They say, come, let us wipe them out as a nation. Let the name of Israel be remembered no more. 
The psalmist is there and there's something going on. There's some sort of enemy against God's people, some sort of enemy against this nation of Israel at this time. And as the, the enemy is coming, he's looking at the Lord and he's going, God, we need help. We need help. The enemies are at the gates, O oh Lord. They are here and they are here to conquer us. And we need your help. Oh God, do not keep silence. Do not hold your peace or be still. God, I know that there are times when sometimes you just wait. I know that there are times, oh Lord, when you are patient. And I appreciate it. When I am in my sin and your judgment is delayed, I appreciate, Lord, that you are patient with me before bringing the judgment. But now, Lord, now there are enemies and they are against me and they are against you and I need your help and I need it now. Don't wait this time, okay, God? Please don't wait. Picture myself with too many things to carry, coming up to the door and realizing I didn't plan for this part. How am I going to turn the knob on that door and get in while I've got all this stuff in my hand? Help! Help! I'll be there in a minute. No! Not in a minute. Right now, please! And your, your, your voice, did you hear even just there in my pretending how my voice did that ee thing? Because somehow, while normally I might have a very pleasant voice, it gets high and squeaky when I'm in that moment. And here's, here's this psalmist. He probably sang this very prettily and did not have a high and squeaky voice, but I imagine that kind of a tone. Oh God, do not keep silence. Do not hold your peace or be still. Oh God, who's he talking to? He started and ended this sentence with, oh God. Who, who do you call when you're in trouble? Who do you reach out to? Who's the first person that you think to reach out to? He's looking at his enemies and he's going, Oh God, please don't wait, but come and help right now, oh God. You are the one that I'm thinking to call out to. You are the one I'm reaching out to. You're the one I need help from. Don't hold your peace or be still. We do appreciate that patience of God, how, how at times He does wait, right? I'm thinking of 2 Peter chapter 3. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Sometimes when I'm waiting for the Lord to act, it feels like a really, really long time. 
I'm just going to wait here forever, I think. And Peter very encouragingly says, yes, but to the Lord, a thousand years is but a day. And I think, yes, but to me, a thousand years is a thousand years. And that's a long time to wait. A thousand days is a long time to wait. Lord, I'm going to need you to act quicker than that. Now, don't think that because God's justice doesn't come all at once, that he doesn't care, or that he's distant, or that he's slow. He's not slow. He's just really patient. Really patient, like beyond the level of patience I can imagine. And he's not going to bring the justice all at once, right now. He's waiting. And we have to remember in those times when we're looking at the justice that we really would like for somebody to, you know those kind times when you want them to be lightning bolted? You're looking at them and you go, they should just get a lightning bolt from heaven. And you're looking at that going, the justice should come right now. And then I look at me and I go, but not yet. But I'm not ready for it yet. And so that's what Peter is saying. He's saying, look, God is not slow as in taking too long to bring the justice. He's just waiting because he wants everyone to see and acknowledge that he is God and repent of their sin so that he can relent from the justice before he brings the whole thing. That's what he's waiting for. But don't, don't be confused about this. Or don't be dismayed thinking that his justice will never come because his justice will come and it will come quickly. In 2 Peter chapter 3, in verse 10, it says, but the day of the Lord will come, that day of judgment will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed and everyone will see everything for what it is. Everything will be laid bare. The truth of everything will come to light and God's justice will come on that day and make everything right. And what the psalmist then is saying in Psalm 83 is God... I know that one day all of your justice is going to come and that day could be today and I would be happy about that. But even if your whole justice isn't coming today, Lord, don't wait on rescuing your people today. Don't wait on this one, God. Bring the partial judgment now. Bring the partial justice now. Because there are people who are against your enemy, uh, there are enemies who are against your people. For behold, it says, verse 2, For behold, your enemies make an uproar. Those who hate you have raised their heads. They lay crafty plans against your people. They consult together against your treasured ones. They say, come, let us wipe them out as a nation. Let the name of Israel be remembered no more. There were people that they didn't want the nation of Israel there at all. They did not want God or God's people to be acknowledged at all. Not at all. And this is his complaint. 
oh God, this is the trouble that we have right now. I think that when we come to the Lord and we're going to make a request of Him, it's good to articulate what the complaint is. Here's what the complaint is, God. Before we go to, this is what I'd like, we need to be able to articulate, this is what the problem is. Because otherwise, when we get to the request part, we may just want what's preferable to us, right? Hey God, I'm feeling inconvenienced, inconvenienced right now, could you bring a resolution to this issue I've got going on? It'd make me feel better. What, what, it, what is the problem here? Well, his complaint is that there are people who want God's people dead. And not just want it, but apparently could make it happen unless something significant changes in a quick hurry. They lay crafty plans against your people. They consult together against your treasured ones. And they say, come, let us wipe them out as a nation. Let the name of Israel be remembered no more. This is still happening. This is still happening throughout the world. There are people this morning, God's people, in places around the world who are meeting in secret. Because were it known that they were worshiping the one true God this morning, they would be jailed or killed. God, do something about that. Don't wait. Your enemies are wanting to destroy your people, God. These are your people. Please act and act quickly. Don't wait. Don't be silent. Don't hold your tongue about this one. But act now. There are times when I am inconvenienced or embarrassed publicly around here because I'm a Christian, but I've never had my, myself feeling my, that my life was threatened because I'm a Christian or because I'm a pastor. And there are people that live with that fear all the time. Then he gets more particular he lists, these are the specifics. My general complaint, Lord, is that there are people who are against your, your people and they want to wipe us out. There are enemies of you, God, who want to wipe out your people and that's my general complaint. Now, listen. Verse 5, for they conspire with one accord. Against you they make a covenant. The tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites, Moab and the Hagrites, Gebel and Ammon and Amalek, Philistia with the inhabitants of Tyre. Asher has also joined them. They are the strong arm of the children of Lot. Selah. 
Look, he just, he just lists these historical enemies of God's people. God had promised them this land. He had made a covenant with Abraham. He said, Abraham, I am going to be your God and you will be my people and your descendants will be my people and I'm going to give you this promised land. This is my covenant to you. You will be my people in my place with my presence. This is my promise. That's the covenant that he makes. And now, he, now the psalmist Asaph is saying, you remember how you made a covenant with us? with your people, that we would be in this place and you would be with us? Well, now they are making a covenant against your covenant. They're conspiring together. They're in cahoots on this. The tents of, of Edom and the Ishmaelites and the Moabites and the Hagrites and the Gibelites and the Ammonites and the Am Amalekites and the Philistines I mean, it'd be bad if it was just one, but we've got enemies on every side. Some of them we've been fighting for years and generations. And they're not softening. And now, as if it wasn't bad enough that we had all of these historical enemies, Asher is joining them. Assyria is joining in. God, they're taking over everything. They're taking over all of these kingdoms and all of these kingdoms are telling them to destroy us and they probably will. They want to wipe us out completely. They don't like the God that we worship. They want to get rid of Him too. And that's you, God. They have now joined. They are the strong arm of the children of Lot. Selah. And we're not exactly sure what Selah means, but it's probably some sort of a pause in the music so that you can think about what was just said. And so he wants us to know, hey, this is what's going on. There are people who are against God's people. But then he makes a little bit of a transition. And in verse 9, he says, Do to them as you did to Midian, as to Sisera and Jabin at the river Kishon, who were destroyed at Endor, who became dung for the ground. Make their nobles like Oreb and Zeb, all their princes like Zeba and Zalmunna, who said, Let us take possession for ourselves of the pastures of God. Uh, now, as I was reading this, I thought this was kind of fun. And the reason that I thought this was kind of fun, because I was reading in verse 9, and it said, Do to them as you did to Midian, as to Sisera and Jabin at the river Kishon. Now, I just, I'm really tempted to make you raise your hands, but I don't, I, I'm also a little bit afraid that there would not be any hands. So, I, you, you don't have to raise your hand, but I just think about do you know what happened to Sisera and Jabin at the river Kishon? At least a few of you, I hope, are like, yes, you preached on that like two weeks ago. 
And the rest of you are laughing because, oh, right. (laughs) I was reading through this and I was like, didn't we just have a psalm about Sisera and Jabin? No, it wasn't. It was when we did our leadership series and we were talking about Deborah, right? And Deborah was the judge of Israel at the time. And here was Sisera, who was the commander of the army for King Jabin, and he was coming and he was trying to cause all kinds of problems. And so uh, Deborah was raised up and Barak was the general of the Israelite army, and he told Deborah what? I need you to come with me into battle, right? And God said, you're going to meet them at the river Kishon, and you're going to do battle there. And And when they did battle, Deborah and Barak went there, and they did battle, and they destroyed everyone there at the river Kishon, right? Except for who? Sisera. What happened to Sisera? He ran away. He nearly got completely away, except Jael drove a tent peg through his skull, right? And so now I'm reading this, and I'm like, that's the example you decided to pull out? Well, okay, what about Oreb and Zeb and Zeba and Zalmunna? Now, I, I did not just recently preach about Oreb and Zeb and, Zal- <laughs> and Z- Zeba and Zalmunna. So I, I'm not expecting you to have quite the same excitement. But if you did happen to just read through Judges because you were so inspired after we did Deborah, then you would have gotten to the story of Gideon. You remember how uh, Gideon was this really brave general of God's army? Right When God came to, to um, tell him, hey, I need you to come fight for me as my general, he was hiding in a well. And God said, okay, I'm going to have you lead my people. You're going to lead my people into battle, and we're going to defeat this army. And Gideon was like, um, no. And after much persuasion, he went, okay, fine, I'm going to go do it. Um, And then so he collected this big army and God went, no, no, that's too big an army. Why don't you send some of them away? Anybody who wants to go home can go home. Yeah, that's still too big. Why don't you get rid of some more people? And he whittles them down to, what was it, like 300 people, 400 people? 400 people, thank you. He whittles it down to 400 people and then he brings them into battle and they don't even do any battle. They smash some jars and watch the other army kill themselves. <laughs> and the reason that this gets me so excited is because if I was trying to think about the mighty works of God and I was trying to help inspire myself with hope about what God can do, to look back at the stories of Deborah and Gideon, and go, these are not the most impressive things, right? These are not the most impressive stories. These are not the most impressive people. We didn't go back to David with the sling and Goliath, right? We didn't go back to any heroes in the Bible. We went back to these, now I say this with all due respect, losers, who God turned into winners by having them do nothing but stand and watch what he did. And so that makes me feel like, hey, I could be a Gideon. I could be a Gideon, you know, the guy that's just afraid and hiding over there that gets asked to watch while God does something. Sign me up for that one. I could do that. 
And so now we have this psalmist who has made his complaint and has brought the specifics and then is saying, now God, I want you to remember what you did. Remember how before there were enemies against your people and you delivered them by having your people do basically nothing and you just did all the work? Could you do that again, God? Could you do that again? And I find myself um, too often not jumping to this. I find myself in places of problems and in issues and running into challenges and finding myself going, now how can I solve this? How can I fix this? Well, I really messed that one up. This is going to be a problem. How, what can I do to undo this? Or who can I call to help me? I wonder how much this problem is going to cost me. Rather than very quickly saying, this is an oh help moment, what am I going to do? I'm going to pray. I'm going to complain to God and then remind God about the things that He has done to help me. We have to tell our children about our experiences of deliverance from, with God, right? The things that God has done for us, we need to pass those stories on so that they know this is how we deal with issues. This is one of the reasons that I used to love getting together for extended family reunions because that was what would happen a lot. What has God done in your life in the last year since I haven't seen you? And we would sit around and we would talk about what God has done. And it would do two things. One, it would encourage me about what God has done in other people's lives. And, would, and then it would also cause me to reflect on what he had done in my life. It was very awkward the first time I would get that question when I go to a family reunion. Somehow I would always forget that the question was coming before going. And so the first person would ask me, so what has God been doing in your life this year? Something. I'm sure God has done something. And it would cause me to reflect and think back what has happened over this last year. What has God done for me over this last year? And as I would go back and reflect and I would go, oh yeah, well this happened. Oh, and that happened. And I didn't realize that at the time or even afterwards until just at this moment, but this was an, a mighty act of God. And I would share those things and I would encourage my cousins and my aunts and my uncles and they would be encouraging and sharing their stories with me. And we need to make a habit of this. We need to make a habit of this in the church. You should make a habit of this in your family, of sharing the stories of what God has done. Don't keep those to yourself because then later we can look back on them and go, God, remember what you did? Remember how you carried us through that? Remember how it, was, it felt like it was the worst thing ever and then you brought this good out of it? God, would you do that again? Please do it again. Do the things that you used to do and have actually never stopped doing. Do them again so that we can see it again. Do to them as you did to Midian, to Sisera and Jabin at the river Kishon, who were destroyed at Endor, who became dung for the ground. 
Make their nobles like Oreb and Zeb, all their princes like Zeba and Zalmunna, who said, let us take possession for ourselves of the pastures of God. Oh, they thought they were going to take possession of your pastures, God, but they didn't. They thought we were too small. They thought we were too puny. They thought they could wipe us out, but we have you. So we didn't even have to do anything. So, oh my God, verse 13. Now we get to the request. Oh my God, make them like whirling dust, like chaff before the wind. As fire consumes the forest, as the flame sets the mountains ablaze, so may you pursue them with your tempest and terrify them with your hurricane. God, I just want a small thing. Blow them away. (laughs) Blow them away. You've been at the beach when the wind comes up and the sand is just being blown. Or out in a field that's just been tilled and it's really dry and so there's those little uh, dust devils and the wind swirls up and the dust is everywhere. Or maybe you've been haying before. And so there's all that chaff, all the little like bits of grass and hay that's, that's everywhere, and it just blows all over. That's what he's asking for. Can, can you make the enemies like that? Just, just, just blow them away. Just blow them away. Just like, like a fire consumes the forest, and as a flame sets the mountains ablaze, so may you pursue them with your tempest and terrify them with your hurricane. We're just acting, asking for the supernatural here, God. And I, I don't need you to do it with me. I don't need you to use an army. You just bring in an act of God. Even the insurance companies know that this is an act of God. Bring in an act of God to do this. And we will know. It's you. Isn't it amazing? We think we're so powerful. We think we're so strong and sturdy. Oh, they're going to bring in this army. Even today, even today, earthquakes and hurricanes and strong winds could wipe out armies. We, we have all kinds of capabilities and we think we're very powerful and we think that other people are very powerful and could be very scary to us. But not compared to God. Which makes me wonder, why am I so slow to ask Him to do it? I've already said that there are people in other countries and in other places who are being persecuted and who could die for their faith. Now, I don't feel the physical threat here, but I know that there are people who would like for our faith to get wiped out. They don't like the idea of God. They don't like the intolerance of being required to submit to the God of the universe. 
and they would like those ideas scrubbed out. And somehow I feel like it should be on me or on us or on some judge somewhere to make sure that we are defended properly. And I just want to say, I think we reach an oh help moment. Oh help! Oh God, there are people who are against you here. There are people who want to wipe out the ideas that you have put forth. They don't want you to exist. They don't want you to matter. They don't want to submit to you or be told about your righteousness. God, make it stop. Their attack on your ideals, on who you are. Verse 16. Fill their faces with shame that they may seek your name, O Lord. Let them be put to shame and dismayed forever. Let them perish in disgrace. That they may know that you alone, whose name is the Lord, are the most high over all the earth. Fill their faces, verse 16, fill their faces with shame that they may seek your name, O Lord. There are, are people that um, they don't want God to be real. They want to make their own ways. They want to make their own truth. They want to do their own thing. They do not want to submit to God. Fill their faces with shame that they may seek your name, O Lord. If God were to come through and to reveal himself in a supernatural way, in a God-only kind of a way, and you recognize that you have been wrong, what do you do about that? You're ashamed. I know because I have been there. Those times when I have been doing something that I didn't want to acknowledge was wrong, I didn't want to acknowledge was sin. And then what happens when I'm confronted with my sin? Hey, that's sin. God is God, and this is what holiness, and that is sin. I just I hang my head. My face is full of shame. And what do we do? We cry out. Oh God, would you forgive me? God, would you forgive me? Because when we're confronted with the truth of who God is, and our sin means that we do not match up with His holiness, it's a moment of shame. But that con confrontation with reality, that confrontation with truth, 
can cause us to move toward repentance. To say, oh God, I have been wrong. It's not easy to say that. I'm a dad. I'm right about most things most of the time. I was reminded this week of um, oh, what, the, the King and I, right? You remember the King and I where, where uh, he's telling his son, um, someday you too will know everything? When will that be? When you are king. Then you will know everything. I, I, want, I feel like I want to be right all the time. And when I find out that I have been wrong and I have done what is wrong, it is humiliating but I have the opportunity to respond humbly with a repentance and say, oh God, would you forgive me? Because the fact of the matter is, I'm wrong either way. I'm being corrected. I have been wrong and I need to be corrected. I need to see what is true. I need to be confronted about my sin. And then repent of that, that I may seek his name. Fill their faces with shame so that they may seek your name, O Lord. Verse 17. Let them be put to shame and be dismayed forever. Let them perish in disgrace. That's the alternative. The alternative is that they are disgraced forever because having been confronted with that which is true, that is that there is one true God that is ruler, king over all, one who truly does know everything, who is completely pure and holy and righteous and we must submit to him, we can be confronted with that and go, eh, nope. I don't want to have anything to do with that. I want to do my own thing. In which case, what we are choosing is to be put to shame and dismayed forever and perish in our disgrace. I want this moment for everyone. It is an awful and painful moment to be confronted with the one true God. And to recognize that we are sinners in His eyes. It is an awkward and painful moment, and I hope that every person on the face of the earth faces it. So that either they can repent, they can be ashamed of their sin and repent, or else actively rebellious. May there never be anyone on the face of the earth ever who could try to claim, I just didn't know. But instead, may they be confronted with this moment where they see an act of God, God's deliverance for His people, the supernatural occurring before their eyes in a way that is undeniable. And they either say, there is one true God and I will submit to Him. Or there is one true God and I hate Him. 
Those are the two choices. There's nothing in between. And what we're praying for here is, God, may they be confronted and may they either be ashamed and repent or would you wipe them out that they be no more. In Acts chapter 4, Peter was confronted with the religious rulers, and essentially they were just telling him, knock it off, quit preaching about Jesus. And then Peter said, filled with the Holy Spirit, rulers and people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed that was done to a crippled man, by what means he has been healed, then let it be known to you all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. Then verse 11. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by, the, by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Peter says, look, we healed this guy. It was a supernatural healing. It was an act of God. And if you want to know why, it is because of Jesus. Jesus, the one that you shamefully crucified and hung on the cross, but he didn't stay dead it was all part of the plan. Jesus died on that cross so that we could be forgiven of our sin. And he rose again from the dead. And there is no other name under heaven by which we may be saved. We must, we must come to holiness and righteousness and truth through Jesus and through Jesus alone. It is of Jesus that Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, in verse 8, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Because He, being God in the flesh, submitted Himself to God the Father and died on the cross, therefore He was raised to the highest place that every knee in heaven and on earth shall be bowed before Him. Every tongue shall confess that He is God. There is no other. Oh, may this be our prayer. May this be our prayer when we're thinking about the persecuted uh, people around the world. May this be our prayer when we find antagonism to the God we serve here in our communities, in our families, in our neighborhoods. May this be our prayer. May this be our prayer even when we find ourselves, when we've gotten ourselves into a predicament that we can't get out of because we're holding too many things at once. And we find ourselves in that oh help moment. Oh help! 
that we cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, would you act that I may acknowledge that you are God, that others might see and hear and know what you have done at this time in this place so that they also may bow the knee before Jesus. Verse 18 of Psalm 83, that they may know that you alone whose name is the Lord, are the most high over all the earth. Whatever you are facing, when you find yourself in that oh help moment, may you cry out, oh God, save me for the sake of your glory, remembering he has done this over and over and over again for his people throughout history. And he has promised that he will continue to do so. Let's pray. Oh Lord God, there are people who are gathering in your name this morning to worship you. And it is not physically safe for them to do that. Lord, we pray that you would protect them. We pray that you would fill them with the confidence and the power of your Holy Spirit so that they might worship you with all boldness. We pray for your favor that those who would oppose them might see the truth of who you are that they might see the truth of who you are and repent. And Lord, if they are unwilling to repent, that you would remove them and protect your people. Lord, I pray for those in this room. I pray that when they are faced with trials and challenges, I pray that when they are confronted by people about their faith, that they would be quick to acknowledge you. I pray that they would be quick to reach out to you. And I pray that time after time, you would build their faith by responding to their prayers. Lord, we ask for these things not merely for the sake of our comfort, not merely so that we will not have to deal with trials and tribulations. But Lord, we ask for these things so that your name might be glorified in all the earth. That everyone would see and hear and know that there is one God in heaven. And that he has sent his son who is both Savior and Lord. And we ask for this in His name, in the name of Jesus, amen.